The following interview originally aired on KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio in Central Oregon. The interview was conducted on the Wednesday edition of The Point, a local affairs show that airs Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. on 88.9 FM and kpov.org. Our guest this morning is Dr. Jim Foster, Professor Emeritus of Political Science and founding faculty member of OSU Cascades. Before coming to Ben, Dr. Foster was chair of the Department of Political Science for 12 years on the Corvallis campus. He's taught courses on constitutional law, administrative law, gender and law, and American political thought. Welcome back to the Wednesday Point, Dr. Foster. Good to be, good to be here. Good to see you, folks. Thank you. Good to see you, too. So before we begin, as usual, I need to let our listeners know that opinions expressed on this show are those of Professor Foster and Louise and myself, and in no way represent those of KPOV, its board, staff, or members. I'm glad we've got that out of the way. So again, good morning, Jim. Standard disclaimer. (laughs) Standard disclaimer for us. Good good morning to you two. I thought in honor of uh, St. Patrick's Day, it might be useful to quote a 17th century Irishman, specifically Edmund Burke, who was a parliamentarian and political philosopher in uh, England, born in Dublin. Um, It it does double duty because it also provides a great entree in terms of an epitaph to the previous administration. So I'll read the quote very very quickly and then we can talk about it. Manners are of more importance than laws. Upon manners in a great measure, the laws depend. The law touches us but here and there and now and then. Manners are what vex or soothe corrupt or purify, exalt or debase, barbarize or refine us by a constant, steady, uniform, insensible operation, like that of the air we breathe in. They give their whole form and color to our lives. According to their quality, they aid morals, they supply them, or totally destroy them. And that leads right into the observation that the previous administration spent four years in office corrupting morals. We can all think of Absolutely. examples. What a great lead-in. Thank you. For, that was for instance, really beautiful, Jim. Yeah, for instance, taking children from parents on, on the border or giving a presidential medal of freedom to Rush Limbaugh and pardoning Joe Arpaio um, or to corrupting the Justice Department and the CDC. The list goes on and on and on. But it seems to me the bottom line of 45 is he corrupted morals in the United States for four years. And it would appear that 46 is trying to heal them. And the contrast is stark, isn't it, Louise? Oh, my God, yes. Just his first speech the other day, the other night, just listening to that first speech, Louise and I talked about it afterwards, and we were both in tears. Just in tears. Just Yes, yes. What Did you hear the speech, Jim? Yeah, it was incredible. I mean... uh, uh, a couple of observations about that. It seems to me that the very unexciting nature of Joe Biden works in his favor. He has no flashy flash in the pan. He looks straight in the camera and says, now listen, folks, I got something I want to tell you. Let's talk about that. Um, and uh, as I say, it's just how and he's, he's down to earth and, and, and believable. Um, the other piece of it is that uh, you were quoting, you were talking about the, um, the Roosevelt's. The family Roosevelt, Louise. Um, I read a piece, I think it was in the Post, that uh, suggested that there are strong parallels between the socioeconomic circumstances 
that we find ourselves in now and the Great Depression and that Joe Biden has the potential to be in a a 21st century FDR. You know, my mom told me during World War II, when she would hear FDR on the radio, she felt soothed. She felt at peace. And now I understand what she meant by that. Yeah. 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 The fireside chats. I remember my parents talking about that, my dad especially. Yeah, absolutely. So so Biden has a a knack of connecting. Sorry, go ahead, Marianne. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying he has um, people called Ronald Reagan the the great communicator. Um, Well, I don't know about that. He was also the Teflon president, a lot of things. Um, but Joe Biden has the ability to look into the camera and speak directly to uh, American uh, American voters and uh, his fellow citizens. We might call him the great connector. Well said. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it's very refreshing. It's just I, I think it's absolutely what we need at this moment, you know, and I think everybody is responding to it. Most people are. I think it's a calming influence. And people are concerned about the divide, the great divide in this country. But I think Joe Biden touches us at a point that sort of transcends all those political separations and and reaches into our heart because he's just a human being, just like the rest of us. And here's hoping that he can uh, counteract and uh, and disabuse Americans of the terrible lesson that Ronald Reagan tried to teach. And that is that government is the enemy. Government is inefficient. I think one of his lines was the most dreaded language, the most dread words in the English language are, hello, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. And so the message mm-hmm. that he pounded in for eight years was that the government is the problem, not the solution. And as an antidote to that is Joe Biden, through addressing problems like uh, COVID-19 and the, the immigration issue, which has been plaguing this country for years, if he, he and his colleagues can deal with that, economic inequality is another one. If he and his colleagues can show p- positive progress in those areas, like with COVID-19 and the rollout of the, of the vaccine, I think he can perhaps do some good in expunging the, the terrible lesson from Ronald Reagan. Well, and also, I think he's also learned quite a bit from what happened with Barack Obama, because I, I believe it felt as if Barack Obama came in trying to talk to the Republicans, trying to work with them, trying to appease them, trying to make everything, let's take a little bit of your side of the equation and a little bit of ours and come together and and get something done. And that did not work at all. You know, the Republicans from the very start were out to uh, halt Obama at every moment, every step he tried to take. But with Biden, I think Biden learned from that and immediately jumped on what this country needs right now, the $1.9 trillion COVID package. And it just, he pushed it right through. He listened to the Republicans. They were the first ones that he had visit in his office. He did listen to them, but he realized right away that there's no appeasing them, that he was going to go with it. And he got something done right off the bat. Yeah. And another cliche occurs to me, Mary, and that is fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. The Democrats were not going to make the same mistake that they made with the first stimulus package of thinking of deluding themselves that the Republicans were on board as partners. 
Yeah, I agree. It's amazing how they're willing to cut taxes for the wealthy, but then when it comes to the everyday average American who needs their help now, they're, they're not on board. They talk about how expensive it is. Yeah. Uh, so Nancy, Nancy Pelosi's great line, uh, apropos of the stimulus package, you, you vote no, then you take the dough. <laughs> I mean, the Republicans I are perfectly happy that. to have that money going into their congressional districts. I know, and yet, some of them were even taking credit for it, even though they voted against it. Right. Go ahead, Louise. Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. How can the Republicans justify voting against the bill that would help their constituents and then take credit for it? Yeah, well, because they are led by the ultimate chameleon, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, Mitch will be, be anyone he wants to be as long as he maintains power. And he's doing everything he can to set up the uh, midterm elections in ways that uh, the, the R's can take back the Senate and expand their uh, expanded majority in the House of Representatives. What do you think the possibility of that is, Jim? Well, historically, president, the president in power loses seats in Congress in midterm elections. But it goes back to an earlier part of this conversation, Louise. If uh, Biden and the Democrats can demonstrate, one, that they're competent, two, that their priorities are focused primarily on middle class people, black and brown people, and, and they actually continue to deliver like they did with the, the stimulus package just passed, and they've got a whole le- arm's length of uh, legislative agendas, but they're going to have to come to grips sooner or later with the, the, this roadblock called the filibuster. And that's, that's a real dilemma. They've got uh, one vote in the Senate. They lose, and they need 60 with a filibuster. So they're actually in deficit when it comes to uh, passing legislation. Here's the thing about the filibuster. Uh, there's a, there's an um, analysis in sociology called the tragedy of the commons. And basically, the tragedy of the commons holds that what is in the interest of any single person is opposed to the interest of the collectivity. And so every individual senator has a vested interest in protecting the filibuster because that allows him or her to stand in the way of legislation that they're, they're opposed to. And so what might be good for the institution in terms of the flow of processing of, of legislation is not good for any individual senator, like, for instance, Joe Manchin. Right for, for who is a nominally a Democrat, but I emphasize nominally. Um, Joe Manchin is not. It's not in Joe Manchin's individual interest as a senator to vote against the filibuster, even though it might facilitate the operation of the Senate as an institution. So I, I mean, if I was the betting person, there might be some modification of the filibuster, but it's not going to go away. Now, what do I mean by modification? The filibuster no longer applies to Supreme Court nominees, for instance, which is an exception to uh, the way the process used to work. So there may be some possibility, some wiggle room for modifying the filibuster rule, but I I'm, I'm, would be very surprised if it, if it went away. So last night, uh, President Biden was quoted as, I think he was talking to George Stephanopoulos on ABC, And he said for the first time that he would be willing to go along with the modification of the filibuster if they went back to the old practice of having someone actually have to stand there and speak, which is the way it used to be. I'm not sure when it was changed, but what do you think about the possibility of that being a modification? I think it's it's, it's possible. Um, 
I, I don't know who said it, um, but in the last couple of days, I mean, all the news shows tend to flow together. Somebody on one of the news shows said, I don't think many of my Republican con- colleagues want to stand there at three o'clock in the morning talking about uh, the, the phone book of uh, the District of Columbia. There, don't, there are no phone books anymore, but back when there were, back when there were phone, uh, phone books. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure that, uh, that that's necessarily possible, Marianne. Uh, that the, really? the filibuster is a cherished part of the Senate's um, operation. Well, I mean, I'm I'm hearkening back to uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I think it was yeah, where Jimmy he's standing, J- Jimmy Stewart standing up there talking and talking and talking. So, I mean, wouldn't that be a little bit fair if you're talking about the one person who has a differing opinion or a different stake in the matter? that would get up there and be able to explain what their position is. At least that person has heard. And then doesn't the vote go back to a simple majority once the person finishes speaking? You know, I don't know the answer to that question, whether it does or not. It may go back to a simple majority. Um, But uh, usually the filibuster is uh, not as it's portrayed in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, where a a person of principle stands up against uh, the, the collective forces of evil. Um, and it's kind of a binary black and white uh, situation. Um, the practical operation of the filibuster is for the the Senate to grind to a halt and not be able to carry out its legislative process, which in the past four years hasn't really been that important because uh, under Mitch McConnell, the Senate has done nothing but approve conservative judges uh, for the federal judiciary. And um, Mitch McConnell has called himself the, the, the Grim Reaper when it came to legislation. So, uh, there was there was no occasion. My point is there was no occasion for filibusters to come up. It used to be that there was an equivalent of the filibuster called the blue slip rule, in which, say, uh, someone was nominated from Oregon uh, that was opposed by um, the two uh, Oregon senators. They could give a pink slip to the majority leader, and that person would not be considered or not given a a hearing, but that the Republicans did away with that uh, several years ago. So I, I think uh, part of it might come back to your poem at the beginning about manners and morals and, uh, you know, because what I think has happened is there are no morals. There's no moral standard in the Senate any longer. At least I hate to be so... A prejudice, but it, it does seem to be as if the Republican senators have no longer have any morals. So it's not just a matter of stopping the filibuster. Uh-oh, we only have two minutes left, so I will stop. <laughs> but, but, but talk a little bit about that, about the difference between when the filibuster was in effect because of the moral issue and no long, I mean, that's no longer the case. They don't get anything done, like you were saying. Yeah, well, manners have been corrupted to the extent that the uh, the Senate has is a disreputable institution. For example, the number of senators that voted to uh, declare um, Joe Biden not the president, and uh, the number forty-five—I can't bring myself to say his name—number forty-five stay in office. They voted to keep number forty-five in office on the one hand, and voted against the stimulus package on the other. And therein lies the difference between corrupt morals and legitimate morals. The Senate is in the throes of, inc- of corrupt manners. 
I agree. I agree. So I don't know. What do you think? Are we going to be able to get anything done? Are the Democrats going to be able to get anything done? It's a it's a crapshoot, I would say, Marianne. Um, they can't use budget reconciliation for everything because it has to be connected to fiscal issues. Um, and even when they do budget, re- do it, did it via budget regulate, rec- sorry, can't, reconciliation. Reconciliation. Thank yeah. you. There's the word. Even when they did it through budget reconciliation, they have to keep all 50 senators in their ranks or they're behind the eight ball. It's, it, as I say, it's crapshoot what will happen with the, the Democrats' legislative agenda. Well, uh, we are looking at the time, and I cannot believe it, but once again, we are out of time. I had a whole list of questions for you, Jim. I didn't get to ask any of them. <laughs> save, save it for our 100 Days program. We'll, we'll, Which come I, back. we'll I think, have you back. In- if you do the math, I think it's in April, Louise. Okay. I okay. will. Well, I'll I get think- a man right on that. <laughs> we'll come back and talk with Dr. Foster again in May, I think. The time just goes too fast. So that is about it. Thank you so much, Dr. Jim Foster, for being with us this morning. We really appreciate hearing from you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, please visit kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.